0: Good morning, church. Good morning. In the reign of King Solomon, the people of Israel completed the building of the first temple of Jerusalem. Like today, it was a day of great celebration. When the construction was complete, the king prayed that the Lord would fill the temple with his presence. Our Old Testament passage, 2 Chronicles 7 1 through 3, describes God's answer to that prayer. Please follow along using the passage printed in your bulletin, the text on the screen in front of you, or in your own Bible. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, church. The risen Jesus promised his disciples that God, the Holy Spirit, will fill the lives of his people with truth and power. Our New Testament passage Acts chapter two, verses one through six, tells us that on the day of Pentecost, the promise of Christ was fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. All flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever.
2: Would you pray with me? O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we are gathered here today on this Pentecost Sunday, we pray, O God, that your Holy Spirit would not only fill this place, but we pray, O God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Where it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. You know, it is so good to see all of you today, and I know it's good for you to see each other. Some of you, for some of you, this is the first time that you've been back in a while. And so what I want you to do, is I want you to stand up for just a second and say to the person on your right and on your left, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Thank you. I knew this would be hard to control. (laughs) Amen, amen. Thank you. I knew that would be hard to control but I just felt like I had to do it. It's just so great To see everybody today. Today is the day of Pentecost. And for this church, Pentecost is significant for a couple of different reasons. First of all, it is the day that we celebrate and focus on the life and the work of God the Holy Spirit. A lot of people think that we Presbyterians don't either understand or care much about the Holy Spirit. Honestly, they just think we're just too uptight. But on Pentecost, it's okay even if we get a little Presbycostal. You know, you can always tell a Presbyterian, because a Presbyterian is someone who, when he becomes overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, stands up, throws his fist in the air, and yells, Indeed! (laughs) So, I would like you all to do that with me. You don't have to say amen this morning, although you're welcome to, but I want you to all say it with with me, Indeed! Indeed. There you go. Thank you so much. Y'all are a little presbycostal. That's good. But there's another reason why we can be excited today. One year ago, our church broke out of our COVID quarantine and started holding in-person worship services again. That's right, it has been exactly one year minus one day since we went, or I should say, since we came back together and started worshiping in person again. That is worth celebrating. But I want to say that I still continue to talk to churches not only only all over the city, but all over the country who are just making their first steps of coming back together. And we want to pray for them. We want to celebrate those reunions. We have enjoyed coming back together, and we've especially enjoyed over the last uh, couple of weeks the ability to come together and actually be able to see one another's faces. So that is all very exciting. But this Pentecost Sunday, is significant for a whole other reason. This last Easter, you all remember back on April 4th, that was the 175th anniversary of the chartering of what was then called the Presbyterian Church of San Antonio by Texas or Brazos Presbytery on April 4th, 1846. Now, 175 years ago, on or around Pentecost or what they used to call Whit Sunday, First Presbyterian Church held its first service in San Antonio. It took them about six weeks to get from Columbia to San Antonio. But it was about six weeks after the charting of the church, circa May 31, 1846, that Reverend John McCullough and that little band of Presbyterians from Columbia, Texas, arrived in San Antonio. For six weeks, they'd been crossing the prairie, praying and studying and worshiping together, And we don't know the exact date that they arrived in San Antonio, but Mitchell just mentioned that first service, but we don't know the exact date of their arrival here. But we do know that it was in about this time frame. And that's why this year we've been celebrating the 175th uh, anniversary of the church, the 175 years of ministry that we've shared in San Antonio. And that's why this has been dubbed Reunion Sunday. This is the, the official beginning of our festivities, festivities that will continue all the way through the end of the year for our 175th anniversary celebration. And, and just as a, uh, as just, just a slight um, moment of privilege, I would like to thank all of the members of our 175th committee. And if you're here, please stand. If not, it's probably because they're out working, getting our reception ready. But Katie Fairman and Butch Gerf- Gerfers are our co-chairs. David West. Job and Ashley Jackson, um, Jim and Janie Wirth, Buddy and Pat Johnson, Sherry Stith, Robin Hudnall, Candy Wagner, Betsy Zachary, and Sashawn Siv. Let's just thank these folks for just a second. Thank you. And I hope you have all been reading the newsletter and you know by now that we were recognized by the state of Texas by Governor Abbott for the celebration of our 175th year as well. If you'd like to look at the details of that, you can find it in last month's newsletter, but we wanted to share that today as well. But as we turn to our scripture passage today, the two stories that we've read today have something in common. They are both about the power of God and the people of God. They are about the falling of the Spirit, they're about the filling of the Spirit, and they are about the building of the Spirit. Now, the first reading was about the dedication of the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem around 957 B.C., The second was about the day of Pentecost, that day when the Holy Spirit fell upon the followers of Jesus and the church went public with its mission and ministry of the church to all the world. But we have to remember that the holiday of Pentecost was a reunion of sorts. It was kind of a a homecoming gathering for Jews all over the empire. It was a time for Jews to gather back in Jerusalem from all over the world for a festival. But for the church... It's taken on a more significant meaning because Pentecost is considered the birthday of the church because it was the day that the Holy Spirit fell upon the church and empowered the followers of Jesus to proclaim His word and carry out His work in the world. Now, the first thing that happened on Pentecost was the falling of the Spirit. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested each on each one of them. That day, the Holy Spirit fell or came down, descended upon the followers of Jesus. But what does that mean? How do you describe what happened that day, and how do you even begin to describe the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit fell upon the people of God They didn't know how to define it. They could only describe the Holy Spirit. Something happened, and all they could think to say was that it sounded, and it felt like a hurricane, and it looked like fire, and it wasn't even an it. It felt more like a person. It wasn't a thing. It was God who was there with them. It sounded and felt like a hurricane, and it looked like fire. But if we go back in scripture, if we think to to that first scripture reading, we know that this is not the first time the people of God had seen this Holy Spirit fire. When the construction of the temple in Jerusalem was complete, King Solomon dedicated this new architectural marvel to God, and he did it with prayer. He prayed, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. And then, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. I mean, here we are told a thousand years earlier the Holy Spirit had fallen from heaven in what people could only describe as fire. But they knew it was something real, something powerful, something undefinable. And it came from heaven. The second thing that we need to notice from these two stories is the filling of the Spirit, both in the temple and in the people. You see, the Holy Spirit not only appeared, the Holy Spirit filled the temple. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then on the day of Pentecost, again, the Holy Spirit didn't just appear, it filled. But this time, the Holy Spirit filled the people. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, it wasn't like just a few years ago when everybody was doing that ice bucket challenge and everyone was drenched with freezing water because you were scared not to accept the dare because you felt like, well, that makes you either a coward or a mean person. And people would come and pour ice water on your head and it would get all over you and you'd freeze. It wasn't like that because that just went on the outside. The filling of the Holy Spirit was a saturation, like a sponge absorbing water. It was like being immersed and absorbed all at the same time. And so Pentecost was not just the day that the Holy Spirit came down on the followers of Jesus. We might think of it as the day when they came down with the Holy Spirit. That is to say, it got in them. It became part of them. But these stories are also about the building of the Spirit and how the Spirit began to build God's kingdom. The significant thing about both of these stories was that the presence and the falling and the filling of the Spirit was not that it was quiet. It was not invisible. It was loud. And everybody could see it. Everybody could hear it. Scripture says that when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then on the day of Pentecost, people saw it and they heard it. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, of the sound of the fire and the wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. The coming of the Holy Spirit both times was neither invisible nor quiet. It was loud and everybody could see it. Not just in the special effects that we read about, but in the changed hearts, the changed lives of the people to whom God's Holy Spirit came. And what was the effect of the falling and the filling of the Spirit? It was that it changed people's lives. And people took notice. People reacted. They heard the church. They heard God's people speaking in their languages, and it made a difference in their lives. So in these two stories that we've heard today, we've heard about the Holy Spirit of God falling from heaven, filling his people, a beautiful parallel. As we think about the filling of the temple in particular, I want you to think about this, that the temple was established as a physical Tangible reminder of God's glory, a spiritual presence in the world. Remember, as Becky defined the sign of baptism, it's like a sign that points us to God. It reminds us of God's reality, even though He is invisible. And then we see in the New Testament, we read that the physical, tangible reminder of God is not a building, but rather. It is the people of God, the people of Jesus Christ. God's own people, Christ's own people become his new temple. We are his church in the world. We are his body of Christ. And that's why the New Testament calls the church the body of Christ. To remind us that we are the physical manifestation of Christ in the world. We are his healing hands, his feet, his arms that embrace People from CAM to the KRL to our nursery to all of our classes in congregational care. We are the eyes and the ears. We are his mouth and we are his back to bear one another's burdens. And that's why, in addition to calling the body of Christ many other things, the body of Christ is also called the temple. Remember, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that the Spirit dwells in you. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God, the Holy Spirit. We, the body of Christ, are the temple into which God pours his Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of God is present, people begin to take notice. 100 years ago, this church was led by a pastor named Arthur Gray Jones. Dr. Jones was known as a preacher and a scholar Dr. Donald Everett, First Presbyterian's late church historian, reported that Arthur Gray Jones may have been the most learned minister in the history of First Presbyterian Church. 100 years ago, in 1921, he retired as pastor of this church to accept a call as teacher of systematic theology at Austin Theological Seminary. Now, although Dr. Jones was known as a theologian's theologian, Dr. Jones believed that the Presbyterian tradition of Calvinism was built on the idea that we are to make plain the great mysteries of our faith. The messages that he preached delineated Presbyterian doctrine in terms clearly understood by both the capitalist and the cowboy. Now, personally, I have a great affection for Arthur Gray Jones. Not least among the reasons for that affection is the fact that he too was pastor of this church during a pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. And you know know what? I look forward to talking to him about that. (laughs) When did your session meet to decide on masks? And how many rows did you block off? But I will say that probably the most significant factor of his tenure, the most significant description of his tenure is that he led First Presbyterian Church from an era of survival to an era of influence in the city of San Antonio. You see, San Antonio at that point was becoming more civilized and was becoming more settled. And as a matter of fact, by my calculations, Dr. Jones may have been the first pastor of First Presbyterian Church up to that point never to have been shot at. (laughs) Hopefully his predecessor was the last. But like Solomon, Dr. Jones was a temple builder. 110 years ago, under the leadership of Arthur Gray Jones and the leadership of this church, First Presbyterian Church built this sanctuary in which we are now sitting. It was Dr. Jones who led the congregation from Houston and North Flores to our current home here at 4th and Alamo. And the first service held in this sanctuary was held on June 5th, 1910. The building was yet unfinished, but it was finished enough for the purposes of worship that day. This building was designed by the renowned architect Atlee B. Ayers, and it drew all kinds of critical acclaim and attention. It was reported to be the finest church in San Antonio, perhaps even in the South. People took notice, and Dr. Jones became one of the most well-respected and influential ministers in the city, in the state, even the nation. As a matter of fact, the beautiful ascension window that you see every Sunday was dedicated, given in memory of Dr. Arthur Gray Jones. But even for all that, that wasn't the notice, that wasn't the attention that Dr. Jones wanted. Because Dr. Jones' dream was not to build a building, but to build the temple, the body of Christ, and from there to build God's kingdom. I want to share with you some words from a sermon that Dr. Jones preached called Temple Builders. I realize that the words, the language may be a bit dated for our ears, but it's powerful nonetheless. In his sermon, Temple Builders, Dr. Jones said, out of the quarries of the earth and sin, the raw materials are being gathered for this spiritual temple. And the voice of the master builder comes to the people today, who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord. He said the first material you should gather for the building of God's temple is yourself, your own soul. He said, bring that stone rough and unhewn though it be, that the hand of the divine workman may dress it and make of it a stone, a living and precious stone for an honorable palace in his spiritual temple. This is the highest privilege of your life. That is the primordial duty which you owe to yourself to bring yourself as material for the great builder, to surrender your own heart and life to Jesus Christ that his blood may cleanse you from your sin, that his power may protect you in times of temptation and danger, that his grace may comfort you in trial, that his spirit may cheer you in the days of disappointment and sorrow, that his hand may work in you the image of the glory of God, and that his promise may arc your future with light and hope. The building of God's kingdom begins with us, and he asked Who is willing to give himself this day unto the Lord? But God's kingdom building doesn't end with us. Dr. Jones continued that there is other material that must be gathered. There are places in this temple which must be filled with stones which are yet unquarried. Stones which lie buried deep in, the, in this mine of sinful humanity. He said, who then is willing to dig for those unquarried stones? He said, every soul must face this larger question. Who among us is willing for this work to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? It is very plain that the Spirit of Christ expects of you something more, he said, than your personal salvation. Today, there comes from God the call to this ministry, this personal work among our fellow men for their salvation, a call to dig and to dig hard for those unquarried stones, those lost people, that they may be ready for God's great temple. And he said to the congregation, who is willing to give himself this day unto the Lord to quarry those stones? Indeed, on this Pentecost Sunday, who's willing to give himself as a stone for this temple by consecrating first your own life and then demonstrating a willingness to go and find those lost gems, those yet unquarried stones that need to be brought in to fill the gaps in in these walls? Who is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? It's a question that we need to be asking ourselves on this Pentecost Sunday, 175 years later. It reminds me of a story that I once heard from Cliff Barrows. If you don't know who Cliff Barrows was, Cliff Barrows was Billy Graham's right hand man. He was a longtime music and program director for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And while Billy Graham may have been the number one preacher in the world, Cliff Barrows was definitely a close second. I met him once at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina, when he was teaching at the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. And one night he told a story. He said, when I was 10 years old, my father took me to Yosemite National Park in California. He explained that on top of one of the mountains at Glacier Point, uh, 7,000 feet above Camp Curry, workers had been doing a controlled burn and amassing wood and debris and had been burning it all day long so that it was just a huge mass, a huge pile of coals. And then the ranger told us, come back at nine o'clock tonight and you'll see a sight that you have never seen before. Well, there we were. I had hold of my dad's hand. The ranger looked at his watch at nine o'clock, he said, All right, it's nine o'clock. Let's all listen carefully. And we'll hear a voice from up on top of the mountain. A few seconds later, from the top of the mountain, a distant voice called out Are you ready, Camp Curry? Are you ready? And then our guide cupped his hands over his mouth and responded, We are ready. Let the fire fall. And then up on the mountain, there were these guys with these huge pusher boards with poles. And they pushed that great, big, pile of coals over the ledge and the coals cascaded down the face of the mountain like a waterfall of fire a beautiful firefall of light Barrow said it was a beautiful sight but when I saw it in my own heart and mind I know many times the spirit of God has said to me Are you ready? When I saw those coals fall, I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, are you ready? Do you want me to pour out my spirit, my power upon you? Are you ready for me to let the spirit fall upon you and fill you with your work in this area of your life so that the people will see my power and love and kingdom at work in you. And Barrow said at that moment, I said, oh God, I am ready. Let the fire fall. Pentecost began with the promise of God. But it came when the disciples gathered in the upper room in prayer. The fire fell from heaven into the temple, illuminating the world when Solomon prayed. And God promised that if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Do we dare to pray for something like that? For our world, for our nation, for San Antonio, for our church, for our homes, for our neighborhood. Even after 175 years, I believe we are just beginning to pray that prayer. If we will humble ourselves and seek his face and pray, he will hear. And the Lord's spirit of Pentecost will fall. And it will fill us. And it will build his temple, his people. The Lord is calling to you, First Presbyterian Church. Are you ready? ready. 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 Then say it with me. Let the fire fall. Let the fire fall. Let us pray. Oh God. We are ready. Let the fire of your Holy Spirit fall in our lives as never before. Let the fire fall again. For indeed, we are blessed. Amen.